It's Wednesday, September 2nd, 2015, and you're listening to episode 378 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 42 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. And this is Chris. And screw everybody else. No, actually, several. <laughs> Tonight was a weird night, but the point is we got a show together. I got some p- good people on the mics. Well, good quotation marks. Can I, can I say, f*** you, I'm a host? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brodor is now officially a host for whatever that's worth to anyone. But nonetheless, that is a thing. It's All worth r- a lot to Brodor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have you have one of the best caveman names ever. Thank you. <laughs> Depending on what you want out of being a caveman. <laughs> Brodor. Mm. It's one part name, one part invitation. <laughs> so, all righty. Chris, you're getting ready to kick off our next Fear the Boot giveaway, where you will be giving away Dark Souls Prepare to Die for the PC, and a thanks to Nathan for that. Hong Kong Shadowrun. And a thanks to Colin for that one, also on the PC. And then five Xbox 360 codes. Thanks to text for all these. Battle Block Theater, Mark of the Ninja, Motocross Madness, Orcs Must Die, and Dungeon Fighter Live, Fall of Hendon Meyer, which I still think sounds like a gonzo author or something. So, Chris, <laughs> am I correct? You're going to be putting pointers to the contest on Facebook, but the contest will be occurring whatever it is you've come up with because I've completely given the reins over to you, which may have been one of my worst decisions ever, but it will be occurring on Twitter. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, I'll put just general instructions of where to find the contest, how they might be laid out, or maybe on our Free the Boot Facebook page, and there you'll be able to kind of get the general details. Uh, But all the contests will be handled and run through Twitter. And I do this partially because it's easy to put it on one place and partially because it just gets kind of, I'm kind of lazy in that sense. So, so, yes, so that's where there will be, and that will be coming uh, very soon. Twitter.com slash Fear the Boot. Check the show notes if you need a link to that and cannot remember Twitter.com slash Fear the Boot. Being Orkkin, I am triggered by the title that Orcs Must Die. <laughs> I tell you what, then. We'll pull that one from circulation. We'll replace it with Orcs Can Be Optionally Hugged If First Asked and Consented. Is that uh, better? Yes, okay. that's much better. My, my apologies to you. How about Brodor. orcs and camps? I, I think camp that we've... <laughs> campgrounds, campgrounds. We had almost circumvented litigation until your last statement, Mr. Rossi. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, next thing. It's good that we can get out all this horribleness in the middle of giveaways. It's like a compliment sandwich <laughs> where we'd like say something nice, say something terrible, say something nice. So, all right. So if you guys remember, I was on that bender for about three episodes straight about those Battletech dice they're giving away at Gen Con. Really cool dice, metal dice. There's a set of five, each of which has on the six sides, so where the six would be, the logo of the five great houses from Battletech. So there's one that has the Davian logo, one for Steiner, one for Kirita, one for Mari, one for Liao. I have some sets of these to give away. Now, where did Dan get these? How did he track them down? What magic is going on there? The secret's in the frosting, but I'll never tell. I have these. I'm going to wait a little bit, let Chris get through his giveaways. But just to let you know, if you did not get a set of those dice at Gen Con, because you weren't at Gen Con or were not there during the 10 or 20 minutes, literally, it took to sell out, uh, then I have about a bunch of pairs here, maybe about five sets that I'm going to be giving away. So stick around and stick with Fear the Boot, because we're going to be coming back to that 
I also want to give one last bit of commentary on the prior episode. In 10 years of doing Fear the Boot, or nearly 10 years, we've gotten good at a lot of things, but there's one thing I'm still terrible at, and that's naming shows. I just kind of name them by whatever topic sticks out in my mind, but that's rarely actually the topic we're talking about. The last episode was really more about the valuation of characters in certain situations and gaming the system versus making an effective character. But because we had a little commentary in there about 5e and Pathfinder, I just called it 5th edition. I really don't know why I did that. But anyway, I do thank you for all the comments we've got, including a lot of people pointing me to free resources. And it sounds like based on that feedback that unlike prior editions, 5e is really not quite a three-book game. It's really more of a one-book game, and the player's handbook is a lot more standalone than it used to be. So I'll be picking up a copy of the fifth edition of D&D here and actually trying to play it in the near future so I can come back and give some more detailed commentary on it. It was kind of funny. Is I, I didn't note who said this, but I was talking about how Fear the Boot is system agnostic, that the show has always been about concepts of gaming that don't really apply to any specific game. You know, making a good character, being nice at the table, writing a good plot. I mean, these have nothing to do with the game you're playing specifically. But someone did make the point facetiously, but I think quite accurately, that to pretend D&D doesn't exist is going from system agnostic to system atheistic. (laughs) (laughs) Which, the more I chewed on it, was a surprisingly apt metaphor. So, anyways, Chris, what stupid thing were you about to say? I was going to say, stupidly, um, 5e actually is really quite enjoyable. I've played it a fair amount with my local group, and uh, I really, I kind of enjoyed it. There is a lot to like about it. It did have, you know, a lot of people when it came out said, you know, it has kind of that 1e, 2e kind of feel, but yet still has had a decent level of crunch to it. I, I definitely picked up on the, the, the feel aspect of it, um, which is kind of what I enjoyed because I did feel very much of a first edition-ness as I sat down and was rolling dice. It, it, it's good. I like it. I'm excited. I actually just got together with a group of old friends on Sunday and sat down and did the group template and walked through the campaign setting, etc. Set aside our, our campaign expectations, right? And uh, I'm excited about playing the game. I think that the rules, I think they did something very, very smart because Watsi knew that they couldn't replicate third edition. They couldn't challenge Pathfinder for the crunchiest of crunch games. And I think they did a really, really good uh, a really good job of making something that is simple and elegant and interesting. I'm very excited to give it a try. Topic for today, and I don't know if I'm going to treat this as a regular episode or bonus episode, though I guess by the time you're listening to this, you already know by the intro music. <laughs> but Broder said something at dinner, and it actually kind of reminded me of a line of thought I was having myself. And I want to dissect the psychology of this, both within him and within me. So when we were at dinner, I looked at Dan and I was like, I fucking hate gaming. <laughs> I hate it. I fucking hate doing it. Right? Which is great to hear after you make the guy a host. <laughs> yeah. You want to host on an RPG podcast? Absolutely. I hate gaming. I Let's hate go talk gaming. about it. <laughs> so, but okay. So here's the reality of it, and this is this is what I was pitching to Dan at dinner. Look, I love it, right? But it's a love hate relationship. Like I'm a junkie, right? And the the first time you game is like that first time you have meth. In, in your, I mean, physiologically in your brain, that first hit burns out that little chemical receptor and it'll never be that good again. But you are going to be chasing that high for the rest of your life. And gaming is that for me. I love preparing for games. I love writing plot. I love learning rules. I love the, the narrative aspect. I love the crunch aspect. I love everything that leads up to the game. 
And I love everything after the game. I love the remembering. I love the stories. I love talking about, oh, oh, wasn't it great when this NPC reacted that way? And then the PCs did this, or we had this really cool combat encounter, or there was this amazing plot twist. And you're remembering how great the game was. But the lead up and the recollection, to me, in my experience, not always, but the vast majority of the times for me as a gamer are always way better than the actual gaming experience itself. And there are those rare moments where that hit of meth is almost as good as it was the first time. But it's a very, very difficult thing to recreate. But I love it so much. When it hits, it hits so good. It's like a woman who has difficulty climaxing, but she bangs dudes anyway, because when she does climax, it's worth it. Damn it, bro. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I have this endless parade of cliches and metaphors. <laughs> All the ones I don't have, you have. But, and there's a reason I don't have them. But I, but, I, but I, I know I know it sounds silly, but that in, in all seriousness, for me, that's that's the love-hate relationship with it. Like I want to do it so much, I want to be involved with it so much, but I find it disappointing. I find it frustrating. I find it difficult. And honestly, and this is going to sound crazy, when I have a good session, man, I'm super depressed when it's over because I had a good one. And now I'm thinking about how long is it going to be before I have another really good one like that? You know, I have been thinking something not quite the same, but similar for some time now. And I actually kept wanting to make it a show topic, but... The other hosts kept saying, nah, they really couldn't relate or they kind of shot it down or whatever. I I don't want to characterize the responses because I don't remember in that much detail, but it just never panned out as an episode. And so when you said that, it's suddenly like, I know I made this man a host and it's not as metaphors. It's the (laughs) fact that, (laughs) but Chris, before I give my perspective, believe this one or not, I'd like to hear what you have to say. Can you relate at all? Or is this like complete nonsense to you? Yes and no, but I want to I want to get a, just a touch of clarity though from you, Brodar. Is it that way with each different game that you play? So, like you play D anD D, it hits you like the first time. You play Star Wars, hits you like that for the first time. You play Savage World, something it hits you like that for the first time. Or is it that way across the board, regardless of the rule system, setting, genre, whatever? It is absolutely the latter. It doesn't matter the genre. It doesn't matter the system. The magic is rarely there, but it's so good. I will suffer through the dissatisfactory experiences for those rare moments where the magic is there. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And I totally get where you're coming from. But for me, it's never really been like that. You know, the analogy I would use would be having sex as a teenager versus having sex as a well-oiled adult in the sense that that first experience, it's awesome, but damn, was that over quick, you know? What the hell just <laughs> happened? But then as you go on in years and you learn t- tricks and tactics, learn to think about baseball or dead puppies or things like that to make, <laughs> to to delay... Do you guys have 
any other metaphors? I mean, well, no, this is just, deep here. This is, is, the there, be- is anything in life like anything other than sex? Well, just- actually, I was going to use Broder's drug analogy. I was going to say it's also kind of like when you smoke pot. So, like, when you smoke pot for the first time, it, it's definitely it's good. But as you continue to smoke it and you get in tune with, like, either, you know, stronger blends or whatever, as, as, as it goes online and you get the better quality stuff – it just enhances the experience as it goes on. <laughs> so podcasts stand for anything anymore? <laughs> but, I wish you could see Dan's face. Oh, goodness gracious. But, uh, but, okay. Uh, so, but, so, but, see, but see, but for me, though, that's while I certainly have very fond memories of my first time gaming and how wonderful it was in the very, you know, in the first several sessions and things, experiences that I had, they were great. I didn't really have the, the experiences that you're talking about, about just that one was so, so sweet until later on in my years as I got more experienced as a gamer, as I learned how to appreciate everything as it was happening and learning to not dive right into the combat right away, so to speak, um, but learning to enjoy everything that's around, you know, the treasure chest, so to speak. To savor it. To savor it, to really savor it. And so for me, it's been more of of a gentle curve upward as opposed to Broders, where you essentially kind of jumped off a cliff, I guess. So for me, in a far more mature way to try to explain myself a little bit further, what I'm talking about is for me, it is very, very rare that all cylinders are firing at the same time. I wish there was a camera here because you use a completely non-sexual metaphor about all cylinders firing. And as you do, you make that like curvy woman shape with your hands that was I mean, completely uh, subconscious all, all cylinders are shaped like hourglasses clearly yes that's, that's so, <laughs> but if you've got all the player characters right are are in the moment and the game master is is just on and the 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 plot is working just the the narrative is solid and everybody's involved and you have those really really super you know memorable moments in the game, right? Those are the reasons I game for those just glimpses into something that is greater than the sum of its parts. I think those moments are supposed to be rare like that. You know, it's a whole idea of if everyone is special, then no one is. You need to have those moments that are good to really appreciate those moments that are great. And I mean, I agree with you. It would be nice to have a long string of great session after session after session. It is almost an impossible dream. You can't fully reach that. Try as you might. I certainly have tried in in that sense, but you just it's so difficult to get in sync with everybody else around the table because they've all got their own stuff going on. Yeah, and all right, I got two thoughts on this. The first is a little bit narrower in scope, which is I think part of it is the fact that nobody bats a thousand. You know, when you go into gaming, most of your games, by the nature of the words here, are going to be average. Some portion of your games are going to be below average, and some portion are going to be above average. Ideally, only a small number really suck, but it's just also the reality of the way things work, and the way human expectation works, and the way that, you know, everyone's bringing their own baggage to the table, and all that other kind of stuff, that only a small number of them are going to be great. And... Brodor, I'm I'm very much on the same page as you, though I've always mentally phrased it a little bit differently, which is to say that I think on some level I like the idea of gaming more than I like gaming. I completely agree. That I like all of the concepts it represents. I like all of the things that I picture going into it. 
But then when we actually go forth and the rubber meets the road, I'm going to use that canard because it's not sexual. <laughs> well, all depends. You talking, you talking a paved road or the back road? <laughs> that it's not going to be at 100% all the time. And so what I think comes out of that is that I place a lot of pressure and expectation upon myself as a player character or as the GM for a certain kind of experience. And because I place all that expectation and pressure upon myself, when it actually comes time to game, I think it diminishes my enjoyment some. hundred percent. That- oh, That's exactly what, what my biggest problem is, is especially if, if you get hooked on a character you like, or if, or if you're running the campaign and you see, you know, and you have these, these epic visions in your head and suddenly, you know, yeah, when you encounter the reality of that situation and, None of it uh, is going anywhere that you thought it was going to go. It just becomes an exercise uh, almost in disappointment. Yeah. And what that leads me to do is I then start looking for excuses to get out of the games. I start looking for ways to kind of, you know, reduce that commitment. And I think as a result, I sabotage the overall experience of game or the possibility of a game. But this goes back to an even simpler thought that I think sits at the core of this and is, at least for me, arguably a solution to this issue. And this is the one that I had, I've pitched on multiple occasions to the other hosts and never got any traction on. I seriously think that we have gotten to a point where we take gaming way too seriously. Guilt. You know, if I was to say... Guilty as charged. Yeah, and if I was to say, and I'm not saying to everyone, but if I was to say to the good majority of people that I game with, you know what? Just roll up a first-level D&D character. We're going to do Temple of Elemental Evil. And they'd be like, no, we're not going to do it. There's no way. If it's not, you know, group template and interconnected and all this high drama and whatever, we're just not going to be a part of it. And at some point along the way, gaming stopped being fun and started being almost like a dramatic production. It was like we were putting on a stage play for ourselves. It had to have all these elements and all this perfection and all these perfect rises and falls in the action. The kinds of things that you cannot, except by luck, spontaneously create. They happen on the stage because of the fact that there's been editing passes and there's been rehearsals, there's been trial and error and all these different things to get that mixture right. And you can't control that in an exercise like gaming. See, this whole conversation has been super helpful and very insightful because I'm exactly that guy. Even though I try to take the greatest advice of all time from Bruce Lee and be like water. I try to fit into any container. I try to be adaptive and, and I try to be Zen about my gaming and not have expectations about what the game should be. And the back of my mind, I always have that hope that this session is going to be one of those sessions. And when it's not, it's soul crushing. Dan, the stuff that you were saying uh, actually really kind of fits into Broder's uh, drug analogy really well, just because the fact that... <laughs> because. Everything that you listed was essentially you're taking a bigger and bigger hit each time. You're working harder to get that high when a lot of that kind of stuff didn't matter necessarily. The first few times around, you didn't know that it would matter, so you didn't even care about it. In, in essence, you were still trying to have fun. When you say, and that's where I think we kind of get into some trouble a little bit when you say the phrase taking things too seriously because there's taking it 
less seriously and having you know a goofy ass game where you're doing ridiculous things that just defy complete laws of physics and become you know just almost a cartoon and then there's taking things less seriously and just going out to have fun you're maintaining this sense of in-game realism for whatever it is but you're still out there having fun and you can walk away saying you know hey i just participated in a, a reasonable action movie uh, yeah, basically right, let me give you, you know. a counter example here of something that I think kind of illustrates what I'm talking about, which is let's look at the prevailing experiences and opinion of the people on this show about con games. We talk about con games being so much more experimental that you can kind of get away with a little bit more. And typically when we start talking about con games on this show, most of the experiences we've had are extremely positive that the games have almost without fail, and there certainly have been some exceptions, but almost without fail, have at worst been a B minus, and at best been an A plus plus plus. You know, it's somewhere on that scale of at worst, it's been good. At best, it's been outstanding. Well, what's the difference? Well, we come into those games, and yeah, I realize there's a lot of last minute stressing, and you know, what if people don't jump onto this? And what if I don't have my notes ready? And of course, procrastination invariably happens and never helps there. But you know, we come into it with so much less expectation of we're just going to sit down, we're going to have fun, and wherever this goes, it goes. And there's not this huge amount of setup and expectation and pre-imagining and whatever you want to talk about that goes into it. You just kind of sit down and you do it. And the result is more often than not really good. And where along the way did we lose that with the weekly campaign? And I, I realize there's some false analogy there. I realize there are attributes of a con game or a one shot that do not carry over to an ongoing weekly campaign. I completely get that. But I think there is still enough in common to draw out kind of a useful thought exercise there of why is it, if we look only at the things they have in common, one seems to work so much better than the other. And to me, it really seems a big part of it is that people are a whole lot more relaxed. They're a whole lot more willing to make that experience work. They're not just coasting along. There's not a huge amount of expectation. There's not this feeling of burnout. I mean, Broder, I think like your war game, which was, I think, what, slot six at the last Fear of the mm -hmm. Con. You know, that was an outstanding amount of fun. That was a great well, game. And what was even occurring there? I mean, it was just, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I did not come in with some huge buildup for that game. Sure. You know, I hadn't been sitting there and agonizing over my character. And I, I know what Gwar is. I don't know that I've ever heard a complete song by them or anything. So I know what I, I can identify Gwar. Right. But I'm not intimately familiar with the subject matter. There was no group template. I decided partway <laughs> through the game that the dog man I was playing was actually Narl pretending to be a member of Gwar. <laughs> And I mean, it just uh, that's Jizz Mac Degusha. OK, <laughs> my, my bad. You know, I mean, rerolls came from taking a shot at Jack. And I get that sometimes people want a little more than that out of their yeah. games. But it just kind of bugs me that with the majority of people I game with, if I walked in one day and put down a bottle of Jack and a copy of Temple of Elemental Evil, this game wouldn't even occur. Are you kidding? I would play Chud McButterpaint's Dwarf Barbarian. <laughs> 
and you would get eaten by the frogs at the entrance, which is exactly what I did to the last person that played a dwarf in Temple of Elemental Evil. It really should be Chud McButterface instead, though. I think that would be. <laughs> oh, that's his sister. so here's the difference for me i think that you're right so for the gore game the reality was is that all i had to do was i didn't have to write a good story i just had to perform if i could keep the vibe if i could keep the goreness of the game going then people were going to run with it and fortunately that's what happened but there was no expectation from me or for the players so everybody was relaxed conversely on my regular game the problem is is that people they expect a certain level of story and performance and challenge from me they expect a certain level of drama And with a con game, I'm flying by, right? I'm in, I'm out, it's good, it's not, it really doesn't matter. With the regular game, I am dedicating my time and my effort and my thought into this thing. And so I can't help but hope for more out of it. And then when I don't have more from it, I'm disappointed. Do you think there would be some value that maybe those more serious games that we want more out of, might be easier to do if we kind of peppered throughout that some games that had a lot less expectation where we just kind of rediscovered how to enjoy gaming instead of once again. I mean, and I'm not saying we don't enjoy the games we take seriously because we do. I mean, I've thinking back to the most recent campaign that I ran, I believe it was a Battletech game, big shock. And the best session that occurred of that was one where they actually, they never touched the max they were asked to remove somebody and it actually ended up turning into this like mafioso hit and they ended up getting rid of him. Like there's all these ways they could have done it using politics or economy or mech on mech combat. And what they opted for instead was they car bombed him. Wow. <laughs> the guy got in, turned the ignition and he was gone. And it was this great game. I mean, everybody was into it. Everybody was having fun. It was just this wonderful experience that was nothing even vaguely like what I had planned to have happened. But You know, I sometimes wonder if games like that would happen more naturally if we just kind of remembered how to unpucker every now and then. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you a question about that particular Battletech thing you just mentioned. Did all of that occur within the time frame of a single night session? Yes. Okay. And And I've seen, I think that for me, when it comes to con games and like we're talking about, that's part of it. It is the episodic nature of it. It, it is that one shotness, and everybody sitting down at the table in a con game. They know this, well, even though they may not necessarily acknowledge it, you know, consciously. But they know that this this is it. I've got four hours. I have zero emotional attachment to this character. Let's flip it into fifth gear. Let's go. And the fact that you were able to, with what you described, you completed that over the course of a single evening. So in essence, you almost ran it inadvertently like a con event. And and they may have inadvertently treated it that way. That sense of episodicness and even a certain pressure of time brought about, you know, this great enjoyment, certainly on your part. You know, I can hear it in your voice as you described it. And and clearly, you know, on their part, they obviously had fun doing what they were doing. I can't just boil it down saying, you know, it's a time pressure thing and then you just have only this much time to accomplish that. It is that 
sense of ah, we'll just pick it up next week. Let's just drag the action out to the next session. No, let's just let's go. Let's get it done. Let's move it forward. And then oh, we reached a perfect stopping point, and it just happens to be the end of the evening as well. Yeah, and I don't know if that is a complete answer because I think every situation is somewhat unique. But I think what you said is definitely correct because while that was part of an ongoing campaign. It did have context that came before it, and it did have repercussions that came after it. You are correct that it occurred in the course of a single sitting. And there's certainly, and I, John's not on, so I can't ask him about this. He was one of the players, and so none of the players are present. But I, my guess would be that they probably felt a little less restrained that game, that they were probably willing to try some things. Because if you follow most of Battletech, and then it's changed a little bit depending on the point in history, intentionally trying to kill another mech pilot is a big no-no. It gets, That's why Wayne's character got the head of his mech crushed. It, that was actually, in. and that was one of the things that came out of that within that game. And that was actually kind of an opposite example of the one I just gave. There was a game session that went really well, even within the context of what quote-unquote, was supposed to occur, how it was planned to occur. No, I certainly did not plan that Wayne was going to get killed. That was just random roll of the dice. That pilot was not attempting to kill Wayne. But one of the things that came up in the aftermath is, are you guys going to accuse him of doing it intentionally? Because if you intentionally kill another pilot in Battletech, you know, and it's accepted, it happens by accident. But if you can suggest with evidence that this person's what they call a headhunter, someone who's trying to kill the pilots, then that's going to have certain political and legal ramifications and whatnot, as opposed to you just accept it as a, a random accident of battle and, and get on with life, or <laughs> one of you doesn't get on with life, but the rest of you do. <laughs> I'm going to keep beating on Battletech here because that's just how I roll. But I was just at, it was a no RP, pure map combat game with James Young, independent author, great guy, awesome guy, and a friend of his name, Dave, and we just did this big, ridiculous, it was like, I, I don't remember, it was something like, I guess, what, 16 mechs on 10 as Intersphere versus Clans. And I didn't know walking in exactly what I was going to expect. Because, you know, every gaming group has a slightly different culture. And the way I described it on Facebook is there is the spectrum of how anal are we going to be that basically runs on one extreme to Calvin Ball, where you just make things up as you go, to the other extreme, which is 40k tournament players. You know, and I, so I didn't know. So I came in with book standard mechs and the correct models for the mechs and all that kind of stuff, and they didn't. And you know what? I'm glad they didn't. They had these mechs that they'd made up themselves, put them together on a mech creator. They were very... Uh, min-max, they were, you know, optimized. They weren't created with the flaws that are intentionally put into the book max. And when it came down to it, we weren't certain about a rule. Nobody really got that upset about it. We don't freaking care. It's as long as we're being consistent. Who gives a damn? And it was just so laid back. And I had so much fun playing Battletech with those guys just because of the fact that there was no level of pressure there. It was just who gives a damn? You know, let's just play the game, and yes, we're going to abide by the rules, and yes, we're going to stay on topic, kind of. But, you know, it, it just was so relaxed. And I don't know where it is that I got so uptight about what I expect gaming to be that I can't enjoy the 
popcorn sorts of games. You know, so, so basically, I'm so concerned about my batting average that I forgot that I'm playing baseball. Yeah, at some point, it becomes Moneyball and stops being a game. Hmm. And I, that's exactly what I. Once again, I'm not saying these serious games are all bad. I have a ton of fun in many games of these high prep, high pressure campaigns, but it just seems like I think we've done ourselves a disservice by becoming so obsessed with those by, you know, not saying, Hey, screw it. It's ridiculous, but let's just go play like some module about myconids or whatever they're called and just roll with that. (laughs) God, I hate those. I so much. Okay. I'm going to go off on a tangent. One, I think there is value in having the DMG for fifth edition and two, I hate the monster manual because in my opinion, they made so many stupid choices for (laughs) monsters that are in there. And those dumb fungus people are one of the things I'm going with. I mean, if I can't put those dudes on a pizza and get high, they're of no use to me. (laughs) I didn't look at the monster manual in too much detail. I just flipped it really quick while I was standing there in, in the fantasy shop after that trivia game. But as long as they have the cloaker, which is my favorite D&D monster, then I'm okay. I don't remember. I gotta tell you, I know that they have those stupid geometric shape axiomite thingamajiggers that I just want to rip. The or whatever? Yes, I want to rip those pages out of the book. I was like, well, who, who thought this was a good idea? What is this? They're Modrons. They're, I don't know if they're from Mo- Sigil. Like for a headache? They're from, the, they're from like the lawful neutral plane or whatever, outer plane. At least they were back in... Uh, Back in early days. Yeah, they're like, hey, I'm the sphere, and I'm the square, I'm the triangle, I'm the five-pointed starfish thingy. I'm the dodecahedron, yeah. yeah, (laughs) They're horrid. Wow. It's a waste of paper. It's like if you want to have like an adventure set in Flatland or whatever it's called, (laughs) Flat World or whatever it is. I don't have an opinion. Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) No, any which I I didn't mean to derail you. I'm sorry. And I I, know I agree with you. And I think I mean, I recognize that this is mostly self-imposed, right? Yes. I I recognize that and and, and the vast majority of it. Right. I, I recognize that these constraints and expectations I'm putting on to myself, but. I can't be the only person out there that feels this way, right? I mean, I recognize that I'm a crazy person, but in this, I can't be the only crazy person. There's got to be other gamers out there that have similar feelings on the subject. And I think that the advice of just relax and enjoy the game for what it is, is good advice. But honestly, I find it challenging. I really do. Yeah, I think, and that's why... And I don't know there's a one-size-fits-all solution to this, just like I don't know there's really a one-size-fits-all solution to most things. But I think the one that would probably work best for me would not be to attempt to change my expectations of a regular campaign game, because I don't think I'd be able to do it. But instead, to kind of mix it up a bit. And I know, like, the other guys, they're doing this on the Sunday game, where they have their more serious campaign and then they intersperse that with this spinoff game of Inspectors. Oh, the Dresden game, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they have the Dresden game, which is more serious, but then they flip over to Inspectors, and it's set in the same setting. And so you have that kind of reminder that this is pointing back to a more serious game. But it's just completely off the wall, and it's complete nonsense, and it's complete fun and popcorn and whatever, and it's just much more silly. And it seems like interspersing something like that is kind of a good way to remind yourself of... You know, this is, at the end of the day, a game. This is not serious business. It just doesn't matter as much as we like to think it does sometimes. 
Well, yes and no. I think that as, and again, this perspective changes depending upon the type of person that you are and your circumstances in life. But I think as you get older, you would know. And, yeah, and, and, well, absolutely. As I've gotten older, the expectations that you place upon the game, not necessarily what occurs in game, but I think maybe what what you want to have happen, change in the sense that gaming becomes more of an escape for you because you have more and more responsibilities. You have more and more things going on. You have potentially less means of getting that really good feeling just because of everything else that's going on. You want from gaming more. You just you just want more. And when you don't get it because of those expectations, uh, it does. It becomes depressing and it almost yeah, begins to go down the, the road that Broder's describing. And it's not that way when you're younger because you don't really care as much. You have more opportunities to have good times doing other things and that's not necessarily the case, you know, when you're older. For some it becomes that singular activity, that singular escape from the awfulness that they have to go through in their regular lives. You want that fulfillment and when you don't get it, it pisses you off in a certain sense. But you don't necessarily you can't necessarily place why that's happening. There's your depressing thought for the day. As your life begins to suck more as you get older, <laughs> you, you want more out of that good thing. And when that good thing doesn't give it to you, then that also starts sucking. So then it becomes this endless vortex of suckitude and that you'll never get out of. And then you'll die alone. Booters, this is what you have to look forward to later in life. <laughs> but that's the most amazing gaming PSA ever. <laughs> like, I want to insert that dun dun dun, you know, the sort of the more you know music that was brilliant. Instead of saying it gets better, we basically will just say it gets worse. <laughs> It gets worse. Your character the, your character at 35 will never be as so, good as your character at 17. You know, all right. So I'm, I'm at that age where a lot of my friends and family have recently had kids. Some of them are still having kids. But most of my nieces, nephews, godchildren, whatever, are all kind of in that, you know, six or seven and younger, all the way down to baby age. And I can't tell you how many times I've been around a crying baby or crying toddler. My only advice to them has been, it only gets worse from here. <laughs> but, you know, I, okay, here, Chris, I'm going to deep dive into a topic that I'm not even vaguely qualified to talk about, but I but have you're some, going to anyway. This but is I'm going to anyway. All. Yeah. So one of the things that changes as we grow, and this is specifically a change that happens most markedly uh, between your teen years until about the point that you're in your upper 20s, so somewhere between 25 and 30, is there's a part of the brain that develops more fully that deals with imagining the long-term outcomes of things. This is why teenagers make so many poor choices, is because the long-term consequences of an action are not as real to them as they are to people that are about a decade older. And that much I know to be true. You can look that up in just about anywhere but I wonder if on some level that fits into it. And this is, this is where I'm speculating wildly out of my actual knowledge. But I wonder if that figures into it where our ability to picture these games being in such a specific way and having that ideation being so palpable kind of makes it worse. Whereas when you're a teenager, you're just kind of going with it. You know, you don't really even have the necessary matter in the brain to actually have too high of an expectation 
of your games, or at least not to be so serious about it. And I wonder if some of it's not the circumstances of life, but it's literally who and what we are that changes that perspective. I think so. And sometimes I think that's part of the reason why I enjoy GMing more than I enjoy playing, because this way I can at least exert a certain amount of control over my gaming experiences and get the satisfaction that I want out of things easier. As a player, I have less less control over how is my character's arc going to really proceed. Yep, we may have discussed, this is how I'd like my character's arc to come about. But it may not necessarily, at certain points, go exactly the way I want to. The end result may indeed happen. But the arc, the journey, the thing that really matters, may not necessarily go the way I want it to as a player. And that's disappointing. I've never been able to, in any gaming session or any gaming group I've been in, have a character go through the exact arc, not necessarily exactly the way I want it to be, but close enough to where I was done with that character and thought to myself, I'm fully satisfied with this with the experience of this character. On the other hand, as a GM, I can point to several campaigns that I look at where I can say, Here's a campaign where, yep, the players had all manner of influences and did all kinds of things that took me off script, but yet, in the end, I still had an extremely fulfilling and satisfying gaming experience because I got out of there at least certain things that I wanted to get out of there. And that has not always been true on the player side of things. So I think what you're saying is is absolutely true, uh, at least to a certain extent. All right. Well, I think we're going to give Chris the last word on this one. Suck it, Broder. <laughs> yes, New <sir>. guy. <laughs> so a reminder, once again, check the show notes, twitter.com slash fear the boot. Chris is going to be giving away copies of Dark Souls, Prepare to Die, Shadow in Hong Kong. For the... What's funny about that? I was anticipating you getting to the orc title. And then five games for the Xbox 360, and I seem to have misplaced the titles. And anyway, so... twitter.com slash fear the boot thank you guys for tuning in have a great week and great games and we will catch you next time later days (laughs) I was waiting for you like and orcs it's okay to hug them if (laughs) this has been a production of fear the boot copyright 2015 listeners are free to use this show in any non-commercial endeavor as long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com you can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the Pulp Gamer Media Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at pulpgamer.com.